everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I will be your host as and as per usual I am joined by Scott and yours. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Well, hello there everyone. On the one hand it's a holiday here, on the other hand it's also getting colder and like sniffle season is out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, after, apart from that, uh, all good, all good and raring to go. <laughs> it's definitely a sniffle season or, or freshers flu as I call it. Uh, working at a university, you can't really avoid it, unfortunately, um, but it's getting there. Um, but let's focus on the football action. Uh, a couple of sniffles maybe for a couple of clubs this weekend, but let's get down to business and run through the results from the weekend. Courtlight finally won a game. They beat Circle of Rouge two goals to one. Urpen, they lost 3-1 at home to Anderlecht. Standard Liège beat Leuven two goals to one. Mechelen drew nil-nil with uh, not free-scoring Antwerp. Whatever the opposite of free-scoring is, that's what Antwerp are at the moment. Union, they beat Charleroi thanks to a couple of defenders. That one finished 3-1. Genk drew three all with Vestalo. Club Bruges drew 1-1 with St. Sluden. And Molenbeek drew 1-1 with Ghent. But let's get to Courtreich then for their... First win of the season against Circle of Bruges. Glenderbock was not in the dugout, despite him being listed on multiple websites as being in the dugout. It was actually Joseph Akpala who kind of was giving out the orders. And he's definitely, guys, I think, going to finish the season with the best record, a games-to-points record at Courtreich if he just manages to have just this one. Uh, they hosted Circle Bruges, who themselves won a little bit of a, a slide and they'll be a little bit frustrated, obviously, losing two quarter like but someone was going to have to lose them at some point surely uh it was a goalless first half a lot of long ball action i felt in this one i felt at times when circle actually got the ball down to play they could carve out open quarter like when they wanted to but they seemed a little bit obsessed with lumping it at kevin denke and it wasn't really sticking uh there was a great battle going on between Darland and Adelisi. They were just at it every moment of every single ball that was kind of pumped up towards Adelisi. Darland was kind of going through him or Adelisi was trying to like be clever and win a foul, but Darland was having none of it. So that was a nice little battle that was going on. Uh, nil nil at half time, but in the second half, Kortreich did take the lead through Dion Deneuve, um, kind of looped in off underneath Varlison to make it 1-0. They then made it 2-1 in the 77th minute through Isaac Davies. Fantastic bit of pace from uh, Ryan Alebiosu. Uh, he came off the bench and just whipped down the wing, crossed it in, Davies tucked it in to make it 2-0. And you thought, ah, there we go. They finally got it, but they kind of made their fans sweat when uh, Leandro Lopez made it 2-1 from a set piece in the 92nd minute. He had a fantastic chance to bring it all square but he just could not direct his header on target I mean the defending on that set piece at the end there and deep into added time was horrendous from Kortreich and they were so lucky not to get punished but at the end of the day they finally get a win it's been a long long time coming um, frustration like I said for Circular that's a couple of losses on the bounce now and I felt they were definitely not at their best in this one but I know guys Glenda Bock now comes into a winning situation which is quite nice for him um, Scott will obviously give us a nice little rundown of him. You can do it now if you want, Scott. You can do it <laughs> at the end of the games. It's completely up to you. But yeah, Courtright winning, good for them. Not so great for Circular. Yeah, well, I, I didn't think there was too much in it in this game. Um, 
uh, we frustrating um, for Ed still probably to have watched that game. I'm sure he was watching it at home or or, or elsewhere still, um, albeit uh, his interest is now outside the club and to see that they've gone and won the first game without him. Glenn DeBock in the stands, as, as Ben was saying, um, his first day was uh, yesterday, I think. Um, apparently he was involved in the build-up to this weekend. He was part of some of the, the, the tactical discussions uh, ahead of this game. Um, he was saying it is a rather strange press conference, which I'll say a little bit more in a minute. But no stranger, of course, um, to those who know their Belgian football. Uh, Glenn de Bock obviously played for uh, Mechelen, most famous for spending um, 10 years of his playing career at Anderlecht, 206 appearances there. Uh, 36 caps for the Red Devils as well between 93 and 2002. So a, a respectable international career as well. And then his own coaching career starts um, as a T2 uh, at Anderlecht just after um, he stops playing. Um, he then spends some time as a T1 at Circle, three years there, which is probably the high point of his coaching career, actually. After that, he, he doesn't spend too long really anywhere. Um, little spell at Beershot, a uh, little spell in the Eredivisie with Venlo, uh, a year at Beveren, uh, Muscron for a short period. He then has his first spell at Cortrijk, uh, which is back in 2017-18, which was reasonably successful. Um, so, you know, Cortright fans will have reasonably positive memories of him. Um, and then his last coaching job, you have to go back to 2019 when he was at Lockeren. And as we know, that didn't end very well for Glenn or for, for Lockeren. Um, which brings me to the rather strange press conference on Monday on his first day. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. Glenn came into that press conference and basically read out a pre-prepared speech explaining why he hadn't been a T1 for the past four years, which I thought was a very odd uh, odd place to start, particularly when he hadn't been asked about that yet in any of the questions, almost as if he justified why he'd been out of frontline coaching. He then proceeded to be quite critical of the press and talk about how he wasn't happy about the fact that news had broke about him and being in discussions with Kurt Reich while he was still contracted um, to be um, a, a commentator with, with 11 Sports and how that had caused him a little bit of difficulties in those negotiations because he was contracted elsewhere. So he came out and was quite defensive and had a, had a pop, really, we would say, um, that I just felt he didn't need to kind of make. So that was that was kind of strange. He also took exception to the fact that some in the press, the mainstream press, that is, had referred to him as the cheap option um, after apparently Mark Wilmots um, and Besnick Hazy, who were seen as more expensive options, um, you know, weren't, weren't interested in the post. So it was just a very strange, slightly confrontational experience, I thought, and it just didn't need to start that way. And I thought he's kind of put a wee bit of pressure on himself already there that he didn't need to. Uh, but I'm sure he'll be delighted to, to to see his new side get get their first win, so he can he can go in there with with a little bit of positivity on on circle. Um, that's their third uh, third loss on the bounce. The third time they've lost three in the bounce under Miron Muslich, which is really quite interesting. Um, 
in itself, I think. And just just a question on Circle, just putting this out there. I'm beginning to wonder whether some sides have figured out how to kind of combat Circle's way of playing reasonably effectively now. Um, it's just, just a thought. I mean, it's based on the fact that they've not quite been at their best recently for a wee while, and they've now lost three in the trot. So there are some early signs that some of the things we know that they do very well are being done slightly less well, which is going to happen, of course. But sides are, are are finding small but you know reasonably effective ways of um, combating their playing style now. So some interesting questions ahead for for Miron and his coaching staff to to wrestle with. I think third loss in a row, indeed, after three wins in a row as well. So that in itself is also um, interesting that uh, these things seem to happen. Regarding your open-ended question there, well, uh, a definitive answer I definitely cannot give, but um, yeah, it might be the case. Um, it, it happens. It happens with uh, with all teams. There is a few more teams in this division even that uh, that struggle a bit with that, um, I think. And uh, also, um, well, on the other hand, they are underperforming on their uh, expected goals. I believe they have six goals scored, uh, less goals scored than they are expected. Mm. Whether that is down to the, the quality of, uh, of of the attack, or maybe they're taking their shots from the wrong positions, that's uh, of course also an option, which might then lead a bit more towards the system, maybe or the or the tactics in general, maybe not system, but the, the tactics and the strategy. Um, but um, yeah, that, but I'll leave that also a bit in the middle for now. Um, but yeah. Also, they only got their first shot on target in this specific game uh, after 81 minutes, I believe. Or no, I'm, I'm sorry, 71st in the 71st minute. So the yeah, nonetheless, the point being, it very late in the game, so that that's not an encouraging sign. Nonetheless, like Ben said, um, they could have uh, punished Kortrijk for not punishing them uh, enough, uh, and and yeah, sent uh, Kortrijk with even more nightmares uh, and, and reflections. Uh, and, and reminiscence about the under game against Anderlicht, where they did concede the 2-2 in the final minutes. Um, yeah, the, but uh, that the, that did not happen, so the Kortrijk could hold on to their first win of the season, finally. Also, right in time for multiple multitude of reasons, one of them indeed being the new manager being appointed. On the book, I'm not going comment to comment too much, but, um, well, indeed, like Scott did... Uh, the lowdown on his on his career and yeah he probably arguably one of his best spells especially in the well, later uh, parts or the closer to to this area um or was uh, his last good spell was at Kortrijk uh, I would say as well in um, yeah what else is, was there yeah also another one that Ben already mentioned Alebios I believe I hope I'm not uh, mis- mispronouncing that uh, but yeah he he very sad for for Mesatu, who actually got off injured for it, uh, to, uh, which made him get subbed on. But he also had a really great game in the uh, the good few really really good crosses, of which one in the end was converted, and um, yeah, that that also proved vital for that first win. And um, yeah, the another reason for it being really uh, a, a really good time for for uh, Kortrijk to win a game. It's always a good time to win a first game, but um, yeah, then uh, now it is uh, the next game that they are uh, having, uh, and we'll touch on that later on as well, is uh, the game against Westerlo. So uh, a real 
yeah, a, a, a real b- battle in a, in a zone uh, where you don't want to be and that Ben definitely will enjoy watching. Yeah, I love a relegation six-pointer or a basement battle. Um, yeah, let's move to another side that's on a nice little winless run, which is Erpen, and they continue that winless run. And they decided to kind of let that get going in the first minute. Um, Andalek winning the ball <laughs> back. Tia Leone with a nice ball to um, Anders Dreyer. He ran through and scored, and I, I read a hilarious article basically just saying about Jaya, he's slow, he's not very good technically, he doesn't really do anything, but Rima loves him because he pops up with goals like this every now and then, but he doesn't suit Anderlecht's style at all. So I was just like, poor bloke's just been absolutely mullered um, in this article. Uh, but it was a nice finish, but he, he, he does drift in and out of games, that's definitely something that you can forget he's on the pitch, but it was a really, really nice finish from him, and he has... A couple of times this season popped up with goals and he did that as well last season. Um, Open did get back into the game, however, before half-time. Uh, ball across was knocked down by Finn Bogerson. Knew who had to really adjust his body to put it in, but it was a really, really nice finish from him to make it 1-1 at the break, uh, which was certainly a frustrated Andelect, but Open had yeah, they'd been in it in the second half after kind of in the first half. Apologies after conceding that early goal, uh, they just looked really vulnerable though quite a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, I've seen this given as a the second given as a my favorite player. He, he, every week, this man is coming up to haunt me. I don't know if you guys realize, but like last week, the week before, now this week, he's just he's just making mistakes or doing something that means that I just have to say his name. Uh, <laughs> um, the Urban Kid, Pash Hoist, um, really, really You're nice. Getting better and better every week. Exactly, <laughs> it's that's why it's happening. Uh, Thorgan has it with a cost to the back post. I thought this was a Vasquez goal, but I've seen it somewhere else being written down as a Pash Hoist own goal. Um, Vasquez did then get his second, what I believe was his second goal in this game. Ball over the top, Pash Hoist just absolutely messes it up with the clearance. Vasquez runs through to tuck it in. I think I said either last week or the week before, guys, that I was interested to see what Vasquez was like because we didn't really get much of a look at him. And I think he's definitely is adapting to the league, but he clearly knows where the goal is eventually. He did have a couple of other chances he probably should have put away. Um, ended 3-1. Urpen now get their, I believe, their fourth defeat on the bounce. Anderlecht end kind of a run of a couple of draws. Um, interesting kind of stat, I guess, that came out this weekend or this week, um, the new, it's not called FIFA anymore, is it? It's called the EAFC game dropped. And uh, I think the highest rated player in our league, guys, is Kasper Schmeichel. Um, <laughs> it was quite quite weird. Um, it's clearly one of those, well, he's played, he's won a Premier League. He must still be really, really good. Um, so, yeah, he is, according to the headset EA Sports, the best player in Belgium. Um well, I think there's another man who could probably <laughs> stake a claim to that that we might talk about a bit a bit later. But frustration, I guess, for Open, this was one of those ones they'd put down as they probably wouldn't expect to win. But after the one of three defeats in a row, this now being the fourth, and I think I said last week they've got a, a tough run coming up as well. It's starting to look a little bit uh, Groundhog Day for the Pandas, isn't it, Wes? For Anderlecht, they get another win. They keep this unbeaten run going, which is, yeah, starting to look a little bit 
impressive even if the performances aren't always convincing yeah it's curious isn't it i think um the underlay fans still have some grumbles about the odd thing tactically and uh the odd selection issue but at the moment i think brian reimer's obviously got got the moves exactly where they want to be you know currently one point off the top um they're right in that mix at the top um so uh, plan a is is working from his point of view and th- there's not too much in truth you can criticize him for i know there was some people very critical over the last week about his contract extension um perhaps coming a little bit too early and and that's obviously a separate discussion but i think in terms of where they are at the moment you know he's he's the the results are are are, are there to have them where they want to be in fact they're unbeaten in nine now um, the, their last defeat was that that rather awful performance uh, way back on match day one against Union, uh, which they lost two 0 Of course, since then they've um, they've they've had five wins um, and and three draws. So um, they're they're on a pretty decent run of form. Um, from my point of view, you know, over, over those sort of nine games, what I would say is I think the concern for me is they're not. Um, they're not necessarily dominating a lot of those games. They're looking very good in big chunks of the games. So for half-hour spells or maybe a whole half, they're looking very good. Um, and I think that's something that they probably need to work on consistently controlling games because I think that's something they're not they're not doing yet, but they're managing to pick up enough points to be where they want to be. Um, I thought uh, Dreyer was good uh, this week. Vasquez, obviously lots of positives there. I think those goals will, will settle him down. Um, he might get himself another two or three starts, depending on how quickly Dolberg recovers from what is not going to be a bad injury, but it's coming at a, a point that I think Vasquez will, will appreciate. Um, I thought Tia Leone was was quite bright. Obviously, kind of been credited with two assists this weekend. Uh, he's been coming in for a lot of praise, which I think is probably fair. He's he's been quite bright recently. Um, so things looking, you know, reasonably positive um, from an Anderlecht perspective um, all round. Open on the other hand was Ben Massain lost their last four. What's interesting about that, I think, is uh, over those those four games they have scored three but conceded nine. So there's a pattern developing and it's not just losing games. It's struggling to score, but conceding too many. And that that's a, a, a horrible, horrible combination, as we know. Um, so it'll be really important that Florian Kofeld does something about that and that that doesn't gather any more momentum because as Ben was saying as well, they've got some tricky games coming up. The next couple are away to Antwerp at the Bossel, and then they have another away game at the, the Marion against Union. So they are two fixtures that, um, considering the form they're in, they, they won't particularly be looking forward to. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, they're indeed conceding a bit much. I also personally feel on that first goal, Solina cannot really concede that. Not going to blame him for the full game because I think he... Well, he did have a decent game all in all, but uh, yeah, so he recovered well, that's even good. But from that angle and with Dreyer with his weaker uh, foot, you can't really concede that, uh, I fear. 
Uh, well, and uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, you guys already touched on Passhaus as well. He did not have the greatest of games either, uh, making that own goal and um, so on. And that front, up front, they also had some issues. New, indeed, scoring. I, I can't get my head around it. He scored that one beautifully. Uh, really, yeah, difficult one to take as well. But then he also fluffed one that you can't really miss on the in the first half already, where he didn't even get to a shot in the end. And uh, in the second half, yeah, he also had. There was one that he had to put away, um, and uh, that he didn't. On the other, on the other side, indeed, there were also a few missed chances from uh, from Vasquez, of course. Uh, not only Vasquez, but uh, yeah, plenty of chances in this game actually. Uh, also, the their first win after three draws for Anderlecht. Um, yeah, Open, you guys already talked about their uh, talked about their streak. Vasquez getting that first goal, you already talked about as well. That might be um, might, might be really good uh, for his confidence, of course, as well. But yeah, nonetheless, I'm still not sure how they actually are at the top in the top of the ranking because half an hour spells of games. That's already a lot. I haven't seen that in from them this season, and like they're also playing even in this game, it turned out okay. But like they started again, like really defensively in midfield, actually, or at least on paper. And yeah, it it it's it somehow seems to work well enough so far, but it all still also feels like it could fall apart very easily at some point of the season. But um, so far, so good for them, of course. And well, one thing I want to point out, of course, is uh, yeah, at least they they seem to be starting really well in games uh, now as well. So their focus is there from the beginning. This was the Dreyer's goal. Also, was the for the the fastest goal this season after 28 seconds. Uh, against Open, I believe the second fastest one is is still also their other uh, the one that they scored against. Um, I think it was Dolberis that scored against uh, Westerlo after 31 seconds or or so. So uh, anyway, they already got a few goals in that first minute. That's uh, that is of course it's always <laughs> it helps to start uh, games well uh, to to play uh, to get get some results over the line as well. Yeah, no, I think you guys summed it up nicely. Uh, let's move to Leuven. Uh, this was a strange, strange game. Uh, Leuven against Standard Liège. Standard should have been, in my mind, way ahead by half time. Um, if people use the foot mob app, they've got that great kind of like momentum thing, which shows you like who's got momentum at each point. And if you look at the first half of this one, it's just red with like two little bits of green kind of near the beginning of the game, which I think is when Bodo had to make like a save. And then Leuven had a couple of set pieces. But basically, this first half was just. Miguel Pletinks and uh, Shinktieni just heading balls clear or trying to clear the ball like constantly. A standard just had all the ball, they had everything, and Lerven just looked horrific. They just had nothing going forward at all. The ball just wasn't sticking. They weren't playing any sort of nice play. Midfield-wise, they were just getting dominated. Uh, Hayden, Kwabi, Alzate, just... I think I've mentioned it before, but the space between Lerven's midfield and defence is just... It's so big that like any kind of slightly creative player that wants to get into that space has like complete freedom to get into that space. Gineppo clearly just wanted to run at anyone that was in front of him. Um, I mean, Gineppo, he's one of those players, I, I think I'm probably going to say this every week, love watching him, but he's just got no end product <laughs> at the moment. He's just all fancy tricks and stuff and he can create openings, but it's not quite there yet. But hopefully as he builds fitness, it will come. They have eventually took the lead not for any kind of real nice play it was just basically like a, a long ball kind of over the top from Steven Alzate in between Pleatinks and Prevot 
Prevot comes, player Tinks leaves it. Kanga's like, well, I'll just take that. Thank you very much. He just nips in, goes around Prevot, tucks it in. Fully deserved 1-0 lead for Standard Liège. It honestly should have been so much more. Uh, halftime comes and Mark Rice throws on a player that I've been saying to you guys, I don't know what he's good at. Uh, no offence to him, I just, if someone can tell me what they think his main strength is, please, yeah, do let me know. Tibor Vlitinks came on, not to be confused with Vlitinks. I think we've done that already on this podcast. It it was more the change of formation, I think, and I think standard, I don't know, their half-time tea talk clearly wasn't as good because Leuven did actually come out and start to play a little bit better and create some more chances. Um, Hurfkins would have been kicking someone or anything when they did make it 1-1. Tor Steinstein, who is their best player um, at the moment, he threaded through a really, really nice pass in between that Liège defence. Mendel ran on, really nice finish from him, almost kind of out of nowhere. And he just thought, yeah, Standard have just paid the price for not taking their chances. Um, They still kept having them. And it just felt like it had to be Kamal Soa who was going to win the game for them against his old club. And he did just that. Uh, ball came over to him. Really, really nice finish from him. Hands up in the air, kind of apologising. I'm not going to celebrate, even though he initially looked like he was going to. And he's like, oh, yeah, I used to play for these guys. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, finished 2-1 to standard. Fully deserved win, in my opinion. They should have done a lot more with it when they had it in the first kind of half, they could have really killed this game off. For Leuven, it's just, it feels like they were building a little bit with a couple of decent results. Obviously, the win over Mecklen, the quarter-light win, the draw with Ghent. But this felt a little bit like, yeah, there's still so much vulnerability in this side. And it's, I don't know, a, a really good team should be able to pick them apart, especially if you've just got a player that can sit in the hole and just create because they just leave that space so open because... Well, I don't know what you guys think, but that midfield two of Schlievers and and Joran Dom is just it's it they just don't really seem to complement each other that well, or don't really seem to work because you got Tor Steinson and Aziz in front being the kind of more creative stage, but these two just they're not neither of them is really defending. Even though you think Dom's kind of that, you'd presume he'd do that because he is technically can play as a defender, but he doesn't really do it. So the midfield definitely needs work in Leuven for standard. Carl Hofkins did say to any guys that. You can judge us now when with the transfers done, and since then they've gone unbeaten. Although they can't win at home, but away from home they seem to be pretty decent at the moment. Yeah, well, Ben's just given us a really, really good tactical analysis of of Leuven's issues uh, there very succinctly. I thought uh, so. It was very nice of of Ben. I enjoyed listening to it, and I completely agree with all of it. I think there is something missing in the balance of that midfield, you know, to join them up, and that's that's a player obviously with a very particular profile. What we do know is they don't have a player with that profile. That's for sure. Um, Mark Bryce is obviously. I think he's aware of it. I think he's trying to find a solution with what he has. Um, I think the question is: Is there is there some kind of solution, or even a patchwork solution that that might work um, in, in in the short term? And that we don't know the answer to yet. That might have something to do with formation changes as well at certain points in a game to try and kind of combat those issues um, from a Leuven perspective. But yeah, the issues remain remain the same. The interesting thing for me about Standard is they finally managed to actually completely dominate and and control a game and ultimately kill it off. I was talking about how my biggest issue really with Anderlecht at the moment is looking quite good in chunks of games, 
but not managing to really dominate games. Well, Standard managed to do this, and they managed to kind of get the win in the end. While this game was going on, we, I did say to the guys in the group chat, um, can can Standard kill this? Um, particularly when they were creating chances and playing well at, at 1-0. First Einstein and Ben was saying, you know, um, you know, uh, provides for 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 a, a really nice equaliser, and it looked like Standard were going to do standard type things and let the game get away from them again. But they managed to create more chances and, and win the game. And I think that's the biggest positive Carl Hopkins will take out of this: the fact that they controlled this game um, in a way that they would want to ultimately, and they need to do that consistently. That's that's the kind of standard they're trying to set, regardless of who they're playing. The most pleasing thing about it, obviously, will be the fact. This comes at a time when they have what is probably the most anticipated game of the season so far next weekend at Sklesen when uh, a certain Ronnie Dyla brings his Club Bruges side uh, back uh, to Sklesen for what I'm certain is going to be a very, very spicy um, atmosphere. Kamal Sova looking quite good in this game and um, started well, in fact, at standard, two goals and three now. Um, we know the creative uh, and offensive a uh, sort of firepower he can bring and provide to a side, um, and he's exactly the sort of player that that Standard of 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 been missing. I thought Bacardi had a pretty decent game for Standard as well, actually. Um, and Ben's already mentioned Thorsteinson, Leuven's best player. I completely agree with that, and I thought he had a he had a, an above average game uh, yet again this week. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Klubrige coming to a Standard that haven't won at home yet as well, of course. So so that's. Uh... Another interesting factor, if they could take that uh, first home win there, I think they will choose this mo- cherish this moment uh, even more. Um, so, But on the other hand, that's a second away win in a row for Standard. Uh, and they've actually been, in a way, very efficient. In another way, maybe not. They had uh, more more shots than Leuven had, but they only had three shots on targets and they scored two. So yeah, the, that's making the most of those shots at least. But maybe not enough about uh, of the others. Uh, also, their first away win against Leuven since uh, January 2016, um, which is another very remarkable stat. Almost eight years, of course, a few years. Uh, this, this picture has not been played competitively, but uh, uh, even then, that's uh, that's a long while ago. Uh, against a Leuven side that's uh, always scoring so far this season, um, not scoring enough maybe, but they uh, in in total, but they had they have had a goal in every game at least, and um, yeah, then unfortunately for them, Platings was uh, just tries too late on the on their uh, on the goals uh, from Standard, Standard, and um, yeah, should have done a bit better there, I suppose, but yeah. Defensive issues, they're not completely new either. And um, yeah, in the end, yeah, I guess a deserved win for a standard. That's a, it's, that's a really interesting stat that you just brought up, yours, that they've scored in every game, considering we've said or presumed one of their issues has been finding a striker. Um, but they're managing to score goals. It's, yeah, the other end, I think we were so focused on the striker issue, we've all kind of ignored the defensive issue until Rika went down and then yeah you pointed out like who's going to play in the central defence um, and it's looked yeah patchy uh, I guess we could say let's move on to uh, well we can just quickly talk about this game uh, Mechelen against Antwerp this finished nil-nil Kook uh, had a very good game four saves for him to keep clean sheets um, for Mechelen 
Uh, first one since they beat Urpen. So first one in three matches. So that's quite nice for them. For Antwerp, though, guys, what, what do you think is the issue at the moment? That's, what, three games? Uh, four games, sorry, without a win, if you include the Barcelona game, but three three league games, uh, not without, yeah, without a win and without a goal, um, which is probably the more concerning thing considering some of the players they've got. Um, yeah, I'm keen to hear what your guys' thoughts are about why Antwerp are struggling to score at the moment. Well, Ben already gave us the, the kind of scoreless run stats there because I'd underlined them in red pen actually when I was preparing my notes um, for this. I I don't really know kind of what's behind it, but I, I do I do think obviously there there has been an over reliance on on Jansen generally. Um, I don't think Kirk offers enough. Um, to, to provide strong enough kind of competition to Janssen in that sense. So that's my feeling about, you know, generally kind of what's going on um, up top. I think it would need a closer look at the the numbers in terms of the, the, the kind of service to Janssen, really. Um, because I think there's I think there's been a general uh, drop off on the whole. I suspect something um, slightly abstract is also a factor here in the fact that they, they I mean albeit they've only played one European game that game against Barcelona. I think the mindset psychologically of knowing that that's going to be the pattern for them now for a little while. Um, this seems to have have started to occur since then. You know, up till then they've they've actually been. Uh, okay I think um, so I, I don't know whether there's a link there um, it's something they will be looking at because it's now at a point where I, I don't think it's just an unfortunate spell I think there is kind of something kind of more to it and then the bigger question I suppose is if for example the, there is a, a bad injury to Janssen in a situation like this then they're kind of in trouble because they're looking at somebody like Kirk who isn't going to score as many goals I don't think as as Janssen um, isn't it interesting of course that a certain uh, Michael Frey is still at the club um, still banished from, from, from the A squad Mark Van Bommel was actually asked recently funnily enough just a couple of weeks ago whether there was any possibility at all that he might come back into the fold um, and he said absolutely not he said you know Michael's um, said too much for, for that to be the case. So I think relationships on a number of levels have reached a point where even even if there was an inkling that maybe they wanted to do that for understandable reasons now, then that that that, that option has has long since gone. But it's it's the question, the question that I think Antwerp fans will be discussing en masse in private at the moment. Luckily for them, of course, they're also still not conceding many goals. They've conceded more in that one game against Barcelona than they have in the whole league season so far. Uh, so that, that which is five against four. Um, yeah, so that, at least that's that. Um, well, I feel like these are the kind of games that last season they unfortunately for my team and some other teams uh, they they would win, and now this is actually they do don't. So I do feel like it's mainly a bit of a a misfortunate thing, regardless of what, uh, well, despite, in spite of what Scott said, um, I think it's like it's just a little bit of uh, misfortune this season, or maybe balancing from last season where then it maybe went uh, well, went well, went well, um, despite performances that were similar, uh, like this one. They they could have won this game, of course, as well. Uh, but yeah, of course, 
that's uh, they, 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 it's a very obvious issue that they are having there. Um, what the solution to it is, yeah, that that's that's not that that's something um, I'm not qualified to answer. But yeah, last goal is uh, was against Westerlof in minute 84 by by Muya, uh, which was still before that Barcelona game as well on the on their hands. So yeah, there's some learnings from the, from that game to I guess suppose as well. Also, they already dropped 13 points now after nine games. Yeah, last year the that totaled uh, the exactly zero because they got won all their games up till there. So that's uh, yeah, that's uh, a big difference, obviously, as well. Um, yeah, quickly a little bit on Nikola as well. Then uh, I feel like actually Lauberbach could have even done a bit better and actually put that clean sheet streak uh, actually to bed as well uh, at, at a few occasions, especially if there was one quite uh, big chance that he really missed. One of you already mentioned, uh, yeah, a useful point uh, is how I wrote it down after uh, a few losses in a row. So uh, to, to not get completely uh, down, uh, dulled down, um, yeah, in, in confidence and so on. And I feel like Konate had a really good game as well uh, from their um, outfield players, which, uh, yeah, I'm sure will please a lot of Mechler fans and especially Scott here on the show here as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a, a perfect game for a, a Konate to kind of get stuck in, uh, get himself about as well, which he, we know he definitely does like to do. Um, I think they, for me on Antwerp, I think they they... It's it's hard because obviously the, the sample size is so small. But I thought Jacob and Dejka gave them something early season. I think him being injured has been a, an issue. And I just I, I still have my in my mind Muya and Kirk are like they're backup wingers. They're they're not mm. starting quality in mind. And yes, it, you can debate how inconsistent Balakrisha is, but I feel like he's a bit more of a goal threat. But he sh- or he should be more of a goal threat from like the times we've seen him be a goal threat. Whereas Muya, yeah, I mean, he's just an interesting player because he he just does some stuff that's a bit chaotic in my mind. That's not always efficient and effective. Whereas Andrejka, yeah, he he had some quality. It looked like at the beginning. So, but then you're also looking at other players like an Akelin Camp from midfield to start contributing some more goals. Um, I don't know. Maybe if they just give the penalties to Alderweireld as well, that would have made a difference. But anyway, we'll leave the penalty situation alone. Um, one side that showed that you don't need to rely on the strikers to score goals were Union uh, when they hosted Charleroi on Sunday lunchtime. Charleroi just decided they didn't want to defend set pieces. Um, Union were quite happy to oblige. Uh, Cameron Puertas's 17th minute free kick was headed home by Big Ross Sykes. Um, and I believe, guys, I think this was his third goal for Union, but his first with his head. I think his other two have been really nice finishes with his feet. Um so it's quite interesting to a man of that stature to finally score with his head. Um, Charlois did get back into the game, however, uh, really nice kind of winning the ball back in midfield, pressing a kind of very kind of casual union um, playing out from the back. A ball eventually found its way to Ode de Bar. He found it through to Parfait Guégon. Uh, another, he, he took his kind of time to get the ball into the back of the net. It looked like he'd taken a really poor touch initially, but then he did eventually finish to make it 1-1. But by half-time, Charleroi 3-1 down. Christian Burgess headed in another set piece and then Ross Sykes headed in another set piece to make it 3-1 to Union. Um, 
frustration for Elise Mazu, some interesting stuff that came out from him at the end um, of the press conference. And guys, I think this is probably a good time to bring in a list of question that we had uh, on Charleroi. Uh, it came from Ben or Ben in Vermont, as he's <laughs> emailed in. Uh, he's like, hey guys, great job on the show. Look forward to it every week. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, this is a Ben, it's not me, emailing in and saying nice stuff about us. Uh, <laughs> this is a relatively new pro league watcher in the US and I've been he's been watching a lot of Charleroi this season. Um, I hope that's by design, Ben, and not, not by, by accident. Um, is it time to panic? After nine matches, has ever seen Fernie stuck in the relegation zone. He watched them against Union the past weekend. While they had some moments of quality, they generally seemed to step slow and always a poor decision or bad giveaway pass from sending Union on the breakaway. Coffee plays risky and overextended uh, in spite of his moments of brilliance. I think we probably all agree with that. You get the good with the bad with um, Herve Coffee. Mazu is a local guy and it's a great story, especially given his history with the club. But how unstable is his situation? My understanding is that the Charleroi Ultras are not a particular patient bunch. Um, so yeah, guys, thoughts on the game and then thoughts on Ben's question about Charleroi. Well, it's a really good question, actually, and it comes at a time when, as as, as our Ben here at the BFP was saying, um, Felix Mazu was was quite uh, quite frank in his post match press conference, uh, coming out and and saying that his team um, are going to have to wake up. That's what he said. If if they're going to continue working together, I think he was angry and frustrated um, at uh, what to me was was purely kind of poor concentration issues. Uh, coaches in football at all levels will tell you how important set pieces are in the modern game. Um, really, really important. And we saw we saw a perfect example of that actually being the case. Conceding three goals from, from set pieces uh, will be hugely frustrating for the Charleroi coaching staff. Um, you know, you concede one, okay, you know, you can maybe, you know, live, live with that. Um, two is poor, but if you concede three in a game, then, you know, the, the, there's an issue, and this comes back to, you know, I think Mazu's point and being frustrated with a number of things, uh, and for me, it is a, it's a concentration thing. I, def- I think defensively, particularly in this game, um, they, they, they were poor. Um, there's there's no doubt about that at all. I think they have been um, they've been patchy over the course of the season. Um, they started very slowly um, and and poorly, I thought, and then they, they they started to improve without winning games and are now looking a little bit patchy again. Um, I think the frustrating thing for for Felice is there is some quality in this side, but it, it's not coming to the fore, um, and it's individual errors and and lapses of concentration that are that are costing them sort of generally um, at the moment. Um, I think it's too early to panic, but I do think what Felice was saying. Um, indicates that he himself is actually quite worried, and to be to use words like that, I think is is, is definitely a T one who's um, sending a warning to his own players that look, there's not a lot more I can do. You need to apply, you know, all of the hard work um, that that we put in each week, um, you know, on the pitch. Um, otherwise, that, that that that's kind of pointless. So I think he's becoming increasingly frustrated. Um, and and having a harder time there than than perhaps he expected to have, um, so yeah, I I, I would I wouldn't panic yet, but I I think the pressure is increasing on him, um, 
There's no doubt about that. Union, on the other hand, just a quick word on them. I thought Cameron Puertas in particular had a had a great game this weekend. I thought he was he was really good. Um, I know our Ben again, second chance to use that 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 phrase uh, this week um, is is a big fan of Cameron's, and I I think he is now looking really comfortable and settled in this the, the, this Union side, and is quite a big part of the new setup under Alexander Blesson. Yep, he definitely had a great game here. And I think Scott said a lot of. Uh, I think I can, I can only agree. Only maybe also just in short, they've always been a bit more reliant on their organization defensively, and yeah, that's not showing up that much this season. And unfortunately, in attack, they are not able to compensate that so far uh, as well. So I guess if the the the, the, the uh, for me, that the issues lie indeed with, with, like Scott saying, with some defensive um, individual errors, but uh, that that also cannot really be recovered anymore by this organization that seems to be a bit less robust uh, as the previous uh, years as well. Yeah, conceding three on set pieces uh, like that, not only conceding three, but also like a few more chances came uh, from, from the set pieces as well before, even before the th- third one went in. Uh, interesting fact from Sykes from Ben as well. I'm not sure if it's correct, but I have no reason to not believe it. Uh, I also had one uh, interesting one. He has now four goals scored in the Belgian Pro League. Three of them came against Charleroi as well. So he likes to play them for sure, which is interesting for a defender specifically, of course, for a striker. That would already be impressive stats now that uh, these are for a defender even more impressive uh, in my eyes, in my view. And uh, yeah, Union, of course, also go top, uh, joined top, but um, as well uh, after after this weekend. So they they had uh, they've done good business uh, for sure. On Charleroi, well, in this particular fixture, they might not have completely lost uh, or or have give, give, given reason for all the doubts outside of well, of course, the obvious said said pieces defending. Um, but um, yeah, they also scored their first goal against Union since uh, Union are back in the league. So it's already in a, a little bit more in the third season now that they are back. It was the first goal they actually scored against Union. But yeah, unfortunately for them, they're not getting much more out of it uh, either. They still have lost all their games in the league against Union since uh, they that return as well. So uh, it's uh, seems to be in a, a fixture they're not uh, very very fond of. In uh, yeah, and uh, that's in contrary to Ross Sykes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty sure. I just have this these this memory of his other two goals being really well taken finishes with his feet, um, which just they just stick in the memory. Um, that that yes. other one against Alvar definitely was. The, the, yeah, but I don't recall the other one I anymore. Think, <laughs> I think it it might have been against Ustend. I just have Ustend in my head, but I can't remember. I'll dig it out. I'll find a way. Um, yes, obviously, yeah, Puertas. What player? Uh, Twenty points in fantasy football for him this week as well, which I think probably <laughs> other than Sykes is probably the most points anyone got that wasn't a cap wasn't captained or whatever that does to your players. Um, but yeah, obviously he's in mine. Um, but yeah, Union taking advantage of draws everywhere else. Uh, let's go to the first of those, which was Genk against Vestalo. Winners Westerlo uh, against stuttering Genk, I guess we may be able to call them, but it was Genk that took the lead. Uh, crossing to Arcadare, his header. At first, I thought it was definitely a knockdown to Munoz to score, but on second 
viewing, I'm trying to work out whether actually it was a header that was meant to go in on target, but he had a case of 50p head and it just slid off the side and Munoz was there to tuck it in. Uh, it was such an easy, easy goal though, regardless. Um, however, Veselo did get back into the game. Lucas Stassen took advantage of a bit of bobbling in the box to smash home his first goal of the game. Um, Around the 42nd minute mark, Christian Vontu Bar picks up a yellow card, uh, obviously mentioning that for important reasons. Uh, Bilal Elkanus then turns provider. His cross to the back post is easily tucked in by Yoris Kayembe. Just absolutely no marking from Veselo on that one. Game basically kind of turns a couple of minutes just before half time. Vontu Bar has the ball, and I think it's uh, Van. Was it Thomas van, van den Kerbus? Um yep. He came on for the injured Nasir Chadley. He's all over Bonsu Bar, grabbing him, pulling him. Bar pushes with one hand and then his other hand swings back round, hits um, van der Kerbus in the face. He obviously goes down like he's been shot. Bar gets himself sent off and he's just in absolute pieces uh, again uh, after receiving a, a red card. Uh, into the second half we go and Genk actually make it 3-1. That's how poor Veselo's defending was. On the counter-attack, Kembe finds Paintsel. Paintsel from the halfway line just runs all the way through, puts it in to make it 3-1. Veselo ring the changes. Uh, Vanino comes on. Tiralormans comes on. Ed and Daki comes on. Daki turns provider for Lucas Stassen to bundle in his second goal of the game. I saw one of those accounts. It's like one of those like football wonder kids accounts. It's like Lucas Dassen scores two goals to make it this amount for the season. Isn't it remarkable? It's like, did you see his second goal? Like it just hit him <laughs> on the thigh and like rolled in. Um, obviously, it's great to see a young player scoring some goals, uh, but it was just like uh, maybe you should check that one, especially when there's a 15 year old kid scoring worldies in the challenger. Uh, maybe you should focus on him as well. Um, Unfortunately for Genk, Veselo come all the way back. Stassen to the back post. Tua Lomans tucks it in. Uh, the defending on this one, I couldn't quite see which one. I think it's Cuesta is just marking absolutely nobody. Um, Munoz then has two players to mark, gets caught on one of those players, which means Robbins is just completely and utterly free. But it is a really nice finish from him to make it 3 all. Uh, Genk have gone from, yeah, the, the comeback kings against uh, St. Sludan to throwing away a 3-1 win, a 3-1 lead themselves against Vestalo. Joris did say he had a rant, but he's since calmed down just a little bit. So maybe it'll just be like a, a semi-angry rant. I'm not sure. But Joris, yeah, thoughts on this ridiculous game? Because your immediate reaction, I think, was like, how the hell do you draw 3-3 to this Vestalo were I think that was your words. These were my words, and like these ones, I definitely stand by. <laughs> definitely, um, just uh, yeah. Regardless of all the other circumstances, they should have pulled this game over the line. And um, yeah, I feel I think that's important to to mention as well. For still no home winning the league, I thought the curse was finally going to be over after I seeing that uh, I didn't unfortunately couldn't uh, watch much of this game only in the I, I saw the more dramatic parts from my side at the end but uh, yeah the, yeah the, I thought that curse would be behind but it, there's something in the water there or something I don't know how to mention it maybe it's diff- not in the water but so- in the orange slices <laughs> in, the, in the break maybe I don't know but, uh, <laughs> yeah the, anyways um this definitely needs to be resolved some way. Um, 
third draw in a row as well. Yeah, I'll focus first on the on some general uh, things uh, as well. So uh, third draw in a row for Hink. Yeah, uh, luckily other teams also have not drawn a lot. So actually in, in the ranking, it's not that bad as it could have been already if other teams would have won more. Um, and then if there were not more surprising results um, already as well. But um, yeah, just... Um, not giving away a 3-1 lead here. Yeah, that even if you're down uh, to 10 men, it's a shame uh, for sure. Painzel was a bit wasteful with a few chances as well. He did score in the end, but uh, I feel like he probably should have scored one, once or twice. Well, definitely once, maybe even twice more. Uh, and of course, then, then everything would have been a bit calmer anyway as well, I feel. Um, of course, that's indeed definitely this worth a shout despite the, how the goals are he's a really good poacher um and he's showing that uh, and he showed that in this game two goals and one assist uh romans uh, of course that the irony of course and of romans being the one at the end of the of the equalizer he didn't even celebrate that much but of course being uh, the, uh yeah a, a, uh, go, just coming to westerlo this season after spending most of his uh, youth career at at Hink. So uh, yeah, putting that uh, behind one of his, uh, pro- I, I, I'm a, I am assuming here one of his uh, friends uh, in Van der Voort as well, or at least former teammates for a very long time. Um, yeah, the, he was very modest, you know, maybe a bit too modest even in, in, cel- in not celebrating that goal. Because, uh, uh, of course, for Wesselo, it's an important point. Even though they're still winless in, of course, I already mentioned that game, uh, that they have a very important game coming up next weekend against Kortrijk. Uh, it's it's definitely going to be a boost for their confidence that they came back in this one. Uh, also, they had 64% uh, possession of the ball. I think one of the issues uh, lies there as well. Generally, Genk are a team that likes to have the ball a lot. Uh, even though this season, I feel like it's changed a little bit the, uh, that they do re- uh, enjoy playing uh, well, a bit more on the counter-attack as well. But um, yeah, 64%, that's already a lot. And they were not pressing at all and just let Wesselo come at them in the final. Uh, well, after 3-1, basically, maybe after 3-2, uh, Painsil had then the chance that he in that he always should put to bed. And uh, well, that would also have put, have put a game um, um, yeah, to, the, to the end uh, and then would have... Uh, most likely decided that, but after that, uh, which is at least 35 minutes, I believe, they they let Westerlo come uh, at them and without enough uh, enough pressure on the ball. Yeah, and then the one point, of course. Uh, so my my rant my, that I had was was mainly on the tactics, uh, which I now covered, I suppose. Not really a rant, but yeah, they they I, I'm not sure it should have it could have uh, should have gone differently. Secondly, they were, and thirdly, were are connected uh, with refereeing and the VAR here. And uh, not only on that uh, red card, actually, there was a bit before that. So, uh, there was a phase where Bilal Elkanus got, uh, well, in my mind, clearly fouled uh, and got a got a, the a free kick originally. And ultimately, uh, it was uh, well. I think I believe the VAR was like. hmm, that fall is it? If you think it's a fall, it's a penalty. It was inside the box. So then, eventually, the ref goes to check the images and then decides, ah, well, it's not inside. It maybe it's inside the box, but I don't think it's a fall, which does not really seem like what you 
can do as well. And uh, additionally, also Tolu actually got a ball after that phase in a quite a good position. So I'm not sure if it should either, uh, if it should not have played to the advantage before anyway already as well. Uh, but now in the end, it was a ball for Westerlo, which felt really unfair in a, as well. That just did not add, I think, to the atmosphere in the stadium specifically as well. And then, yeah, Bonseva, that, that second yellow card, or no, actually the straight red card, well, uh, which is now already has been admitted by the referee already. Like it should have been, I should would not have given a red card actually even by after looking at the images, but a, a second yellow card, which in the end would not uh, have changed much for inside this game, of course, as well. Uh, and and ultimately, by the knowledge of now, the Bonsoir did not get an, uh, any additional uh, suspension, so actually might have gotten off a little bit cheaper than he would have if he would actually have gotten that second yellow card. Another rare thing in the system and in the rules, uh, I suppose, there. But um, yeah, I feel like, yes, you can give that. Also, the same with the ones against Anderlecht, actually. All, everything he got, I, I feel like you can give that, but... There is a there's a bit of a consistency that that needs to be there. Then yes, you can give them, but like why does he get them? While you see all this this kind of actions a lot in these games, I saw uh, Matsuo on Galarza. Even in this game, that's actually the main issue: the inconsistency inside one game, um, getting away with just a foul. Um, after also hitting Galarza uh, in a duel with his elbow or hand, I believe. Not that I'm saying that he should have gotten a yellow there, but well, one is a yellow, the other one isn't. As, ad, additionally, then also a second yellow. Would, or, well, in the end, not. Well, that makes it all very complicated how it went. But like anyway, a completely different judgment of, of relatively similar phases inside one game. And then secondly, yeah, okay, I can also live with that if other situations and uh, players also get, um, yeah, get their the bookings that they actually deserve. Uh, which, uh, well, here I'm not looking at specific similar situations, but more at, well, a few players, I suppose you could say, maybe also even in inside the Hank squad, uh, but um, just across all teams that get away with a lot worse, and they, yeah, they get away with things. And here. Yeah, uh, in the yeah that that part it part is maybe a bit of a rant, but more like yeah, I'm just wondering why there can't be this kind of consistency. So I can live with the cards if the other ones also get given for everyone, and I feel like we will get a lot of more players sent off, which maybe is what should happen for the game to change a bit then as well. But yeah, uh, we all know this is unfortunately probably not going to happen. Yeah, and then I find this very, very light once uh, both his red, red cards he received now so far this season. Uh, yeah, rant out if you still call it a rant, but uh, me, I'm out here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that sounded very cathartic. So hopefully that's that, that's worked for our Yoris. Um, we've been talking a lot already this week about the basics sides. Uh, who are struggling to score at the moment, sides who uh, are struggling to defend and uh, sides who are letting their concentration go at key moments in games. And for me, there's another interesting example of this. The the, the equaliser, Romans won for 3-3 right at the end of the game. Um, that, for me, is purely a concentration issue. Players have just switched off and actually just stopped playing. Um, and as a coach watching that on the touchline, it's just tear your hair stuff out. It's just simple, you know, 
play to the whistle, keep playing the game, guys. You can actually see when you watch it that, that simple things don't happen because players just have effectively stopped playing. They think the game's over um, and are, are, are not doing the simplest of things. So, yeah, it's, it's some real basics letting people down um, behind all of that hard work again. You really hugely frustrating stuff for coaches. Yorishi definitely summed up everything that happened in that game and the kind of reactions to it. And yeah, I think uh, there'll, be, there'll be that frustration where they, they came back that week before and then they couldn't hold on themselves uh, this week. Um, the side they obviously came back against was St. Sluden. They travelled to the Jan Bridal to face Club Bruges. And yeah, they just kept on playing how they've been playing. Um, I would love to see the last time they left the Jan Bridal with 51% of possession. Um I wonder if that's ever happened, uh, especially against Club Bruges, maybe against Circle at some point in history, but I can't imagine it happened many times against Club Bruges. Pretty even first half, Dejic Boyata was brought back in uh, for Yorni Spielers. Uh, dropped or not, you can kind of make your own mind up about that. Um, neither side could find a way through in the first half, although by the end, yeah, St. Tudor were having a fair amount of chances. Uh, Dyla made a couple of changes at half time. Uh, Jordi Speeders came back on. Uh, Onya Dika, who I don't know, I think he's starting to see him as a little bit of a liability. Um, that's just me reading between the lines in terms of he does pick up a lot of yellow cards, and he's probably quite lucky to not pick up more second yellow cards, uh, in my opinion. He gets himself about. Um, so he brings on Eda Balanta, uh, Scott's favorite player, who Scott probably hoped disappeared by now, but he's back. Uh, <laughs> He's kind of the same. He loves picking up a yellow card as well and does kind of the dirty work for them in midfield. Uh, but club did take the lead just after half time. Maxon de Kuyper's ball to the back post was smashed in by Andreas Skov Olsen. That gave him, I think, I can't remember how many goals for the season, but basically it put him level on goals with Abubakai Koita. Yeah, six goals. So that gave uh, Skov Olsen his sixth goal of the season. Him and Abubakai Koita now level on the top of the charts. But Abubakai Koita decided that he didn't want to be level with Andreas Skov Olsen. 65th minute, he picks up the ball from Janis Stoikas. Players just back off. Dennis Adoy backs off. Uh, one of the other centre-backs, I think it might be Van Mechler, backs off. Koita's like, OK, then I'm just going to dribble into the box and shoot. Hits the bottom corner. Mignolet can't really do anything about it. And it's 1-1. One, one. Uh, neither side could break the deadlock after that. Club had a couple of chances. Uh, 20 shots at the end of the game for them. 12 shots at the end of the game for St. Truden. But it finished one goal apiece. Uh it was getting antsy on the sidelines as well, guys. There was a, a moment where Torsten Think was telling everyone just to calm down because I can't remember, someone went down with a head injury, one of the St. Tudon players, uh, which caused a lot of anger on the Club Rouge bench. And yeah, a couple of Think's assistants were like pointing at their head quite aggressively to tell everyone, look, it's a head injury. Uh, you've got to stop the game. Uh, interesting, yeah, we've, we've lauded clubs kind of attacking uh, power, I guess you could say, and talent. But that'd be quite frustrating that that's now four draws on the bounce for them uh, since they drew with Besiktas. They've only scored one goal in each of those games. Uh, for St. Truden, since losing to Circle Bruges, they've now gone on an unbeaten run, three draws and one win. But those draws, yeah, the draw with Genk, they probably should have won that game considering they were three to the good. Uh, this one 
I don't think they'll come away disappointed at all, guys. I think at the grand scheme of things, they're playing well. They drew 1-1 away to Club Bruges. They haven't lost to Club Bruges now for, I think, is it three three matches? Um, so they're, they're kind of playing reasonably well. Um, but yeah, Scott Olsen as well, I think. We're, we're talking a lot about Coity. He's got those seven goals, but Scott Olsen's six goals, he's really, really starting to kind of prove himself more and more that he's just not going to be there at the end of this season. Maybe even in January, if someone comes in with a good enough offer, he might be off because in my opinion, he is one of the, if not the best player in the league uh, at the moment. I think he should have been considered that for quite a while just because he's just such a goal fit from out wide and he makes stuff happen for them. But frustration for Club Bruges and again, this was another result that Union were very happy to take advantage of. Yeah, well Ben was mentioning there that that's been four games if you include uh, the the Conference League game against Besiktas, uh, four games without a win now for, for Club despite them playing pretty well um, in, in, in most of these games um, but more interestingly you know, we've been highlighting recently some of the, the, the defensive issues question marks around there uh, you know, the spilliers, was he dropped? Is it rotation? That debate will probably go on, go on forever. But that aside, Boyata didn't have a great game. Uh, he's been given an opportunity. You wouldn't necessarily expect him to, to be honest, because, you know, he's 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 rusty. He's not been playing regularly. Um, but yeah, a, a little bit of, um, I'm going to say rotation in this case, just to mix it up and see how it goes. I think that's what Ronnie's thinking is more than anything else on this occasion to see if it does make a difference to the players around them. Interestingly, actually, on the the, the defensive issues with club, uh, Bjorn Meyer um, played for for club next this weekend in the in the Challenger Pro League as well. So he's not a million miles away from from being available um, again. And you know, it's just a, a match fitness issue, obviously there. Um, so that that might impact all of this kind of shortly as well. But the really interesting thing is, I think that's now ten games if you include the European games since club last had a shutout so although Ronnie was saying last week I'm not overly concerned by um, supposed defensive issues I don't really think we have a problem um, there is an issue there um, and you know that that definitely makes it difficult to avoid at that particular stat not having had a shutout in 10 is 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 not not good. Um, Scov Olsen, just to circle back round to him there, you know, Ben was talking about how good he's been. I think club have agreed with him that he will be allowed to leave um, in the summer, if not before, if the right offer comes in. So I think they, they, they're aware now that, um, that that this will be his his final season there. Um, and he's a player who's becoming, as Ben was saying, incredibly important to to them. Fantastic finish for that goal. Technically, he's, 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 he's a really gorgeous player, actually. Um, capable of scoring from positions that you know most players wouldn't even try to as well because of his touch and, and, and technique with the ball. But yeah, the defensive issues are one for us to kind of keep an eye on. Looking at their upcoming fixtures, um, they've got some biggies. Um, they're away to Bordeaux Glimt um, this week, obviously in Europe, and then Ronnie goes back to Slesson, and uh, we referenced that earlier. Um, and it's just another chance for me to say spice alert. Unpopular opinion here is for me that Skovolson is getting um, well a little less well. well he's going becoming too predictable and less um, effective as he than he could be. Well, effective maybe not in the sense of scoring, but he seems to be picking his moments rather than actually 
um, performing well during the whole game. Of course, if you keep giving them the goods, that's uh, they're really reliant on them as well. Uh, the Nusa injury is hampering them as well, but it feels also uh, on the whole as a team then that they're actually over-reliant on those two and that the rest of the attacking force is of course still good, still should be good enough for in the in the league, but um, it, it's still a, a major drop-off in quality, it seems, uh, and they, they're not stepping up um, enough, um, generally speaking, uh, here. But... Um, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I think most things actually have been said. Ben touched on a few things I wanted to mention as well. Same, Actually, the same storyline of Skovolson getting a top scorer and then Koita thought uh, maybe not this year, this uh, this time yet. Um, because I feel like it probably might happen at some point during the season that uh, he will be level to him or, um, yeah, or even overtake him. But so far, not. Um, also feel like uh, the last the only thing I actually still have as well like uh, that that Suzuki got the better of me day in this game because I feel like Koita's goal of course he takes a bit of an unexpected shot but I feel like Miole really could have done a bit more there uh, nonetheless he, he got a bit caught too surprised um, maybe and Suzuki had a, yeah actually had a good game of course uh, he had the chances to win this game despite Centrale playing well um, of course but um, yeah Suzuki uh, prevented them from doing so. Yeah, we're getting good at reading each other's thoughts <laughs> and saying what <laughs> other people want to say. Uh, final game, another draw. Ghent against Molenbeek. Uh, Molenbeek coming off a dramatic loss uh, to Union Sancho Walsh during the week in the Brussels derby. 2-0 uh, down, got it back to 2 all, then lost 3-2 right at the death. Um, they went 1-0 down after about 21 minutes in this one. Malik Fafana with a really, really nice finish to make it 1-0. However, just before the end of the first half, Matar Gay got a, another goal for him to make it 1-1. Uh, both sides kind of huffed and puffed. A bit more huffing from Ghent uh, than it was from Molenbeek in front of goal. They'll be kicking themselves as to how they didn't win this with 19 shots, XG of about 2.4, I think it was. And if you consider where Fofana shot from, I can't imagine the XG for his shot was that big. Uh, nine of these shots on target, five big chances, according to to how Footmob rate rank these. Um, well, I'm never really sure how you rank a big chance, uh, but there you go. That's what they put it down as. Uh, yeah, Ghent kind of had most of it in the second half, but just could not find a breakthrough. So they kind of surrendered top spot to Union, and Union obviously having won more games than them this season. Uh, lots of kind of questions, I guess, guys, that people ask about the starting kind of the strike force starting for um, for Ghent. It was a Fafana Tisudali strike force gift Orban, obviously on the bench, uh, which is kind of where he's spent a reasonable amount of time this season. Uh, it's safe to say that Heinz pretty kind of happy to mix and match up front and kind of the only really settled kind of positions, I guess you could say, is that back three of Turin Liga, Watanabe and Candus, and then Desart and Kums in the middle. Um, Brown, Samwars, Gherkins. Gherkins came in, but yeah, he obviously had to go off after 37 minutes for Andrew Kulsaga. So frustration for Ghent, another reasonable point reasonable point for Molenbeek like we said last week about them they're picking up points against the kind of the bigger teams uh, which is just good for their kind of prospects this season um, but for Ghent at least they can kind of take some solace in that not no one else really dropped points uh, no one else kind of gained points on them apart from Union but they still remain level on points with them at least 
Yeah, I think Ben said it all there, actually. Big Hine was, was pretty exasperated after this, um, said that they only had themselves to blame because, you know, as we all know, they should have won this game with the way they played and the, the, the chances they created. I think, you know, uh, Ben talking about um, the, the, the rotation and Orban perhaps not playing um, as much from the start as people would expect is a really interesting talking point because um, Big Hine does like a bit of rotation and that might go to the the heart of why they're dropping points that ultimately they probably shouldn't be um, when you consider um, you know how, how well they, they, they do on the whole and in most games they've been dropping some points recently that that they just they just shouldn't be and they, they definitely did it here in, in, in a way that you know he did come out afterwards and say look you know this is ah, it's all it's all self-inflicted Molenby will be delighted to have got a point out of this because yeah they they um, I don't think deserved that. So I think, um, um, despite um, Byron and, and Gay actually having on the whole a, a, a decent game and um, have been a decent sort of partnership actually since um, since they started playing together regularly. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's frustration that frustrating for me. Funnily enough, actually talking about this, and I do wonder whether maybe. Um, what I would like to see is I would like to see Tisa Dali and Kuipers and Orban um, all all playing together. There are reasons why that can't happen, but I, I would like to see that being tried for a period just to see how, how that would work because obviously Tisa Dali is an incredibly flexible player and we know that Orban and Kuipers are pretty effective together. Um, so I think part of this is about Hein trying to keep everybody happy and give everybody a bit of game time and we know that Tisa Daly has been eased back in very 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 slowly because of fears about that that horrible injury that he had but he's he's now at a fitness point where he's able to kind of start games regularly and, and, and contribute um, in, a, in a really positive way but yeah I mean <laughs> Is it, is it worth rolling the dice and trying something else? Because I, I, I think there can be a case of too much uh, rotation. He did say something really interesting uh, last week, Hine, in his press conference when he said, I think there are players in our squad who can play better and perform better. Um, and I don't know whether as a coach, part of his thinking around his rotation is linked to that as well. Um it's, it's it's a very interesting one that because they have enough quality in their side to to do very well this season again as I've said quite a few times so to to drop some points recently when, when they shouldn't will be will be particularly frustrating um, for them um, and I think adds a little bit of pressure that you know needn't be there it's back to the point I was making a little while ago about some basic things there's some concentration issues and just consistency you know simple simple football things that um if you don't get right can can kind of multiply in 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 size of problem for you very very quickly yeah i'm not sure if i do want to see that rotation that scott said because that might mean that fofana will be playing this and i feel like he well he scored his first goal so that's a good moment to talk a bit more about him of course but um well it's not only that okay he probably actually should, could have scored a few more in this game even as well but i feel like he's actually yeah, having quietly having his breakout season as well against Antwerp last week, 
he was also a, 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 a well the standout hint player as well even though that was not the greatest game and that was a bit because of uh, Hint's tactics, which in this specific game, actually going back to Antwerp from long, uh, from way before in the episode, um, might have, uh, have had some uh, something to do with that game ending uh, nil uh, uh, goalless draw um, yeah, specifically. But um, yeah, I feel like there he had a really good game and before he's also he's starting more and more and he's, he's showing more and uh, then just a few glimpses of his quality as well. In that, I actually would still like to see more of that, uh, for sure. But um, yeah, okay, he did finally get his first goal of, of the of the season and also in the league um, overall. And uh, and that's uh, that's that's definitely going to be do, going to do, do him the world of good. Um, but not only him, but also um, the, the 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 rest of Hint uh, were were lacking efficiency this weekend. Um, but yeah, all in all, they had a good game. Uh, I think just frustrating to lose some points after that, of course. On Molenbeek, yeah, not uh, all, again, also not that much more to add. Um, I suppose uh, open-ended questions to hear more, like um, they seem to be getting, str- uh, are they getting stronger by the week, question mark, or are they just getting more resilient uh, as well, a bit defensively, a bit more... Um, yeah, resilient indeed. Well, uh, and then well, even though, of course, indeed, if Jens converts a few more chances, we speak aloud in casual and easy win. So that's how close things can go. But uh, they they are getting some points where you would not expect them now. Uh, after already getting some points that uh, that you would uh, well in games which it, that they should win uh, if they want to stay in the league. And uh, so far, they are doing more than that uh, than just that. And uh, it's. Uh, Interesting to see how how that will ev- evolve throughout the season, um, of course. But uh, yeah, a good point for them, and I'm sure they will be happy with that. And well, final thing on Gent, and maybe so jo- joint um, joint leaders now uh, after Union caught them, and um, and and it's Anderlecht right on their tails. Um, but yeah, already eight points drops uh, again uh, compared to last season. Um, it it just it's just for the overall view, I guess. Um, that there's eight points uh, less won by, by by the leader at the moment uh, by the leaders in this uh, in case of course um, than uh, than uh, last season after uh, the the same amount of games um, just showing that a lot of points are dropped uh, that's a long story short yeah I think that's really really interesting though yours I think that speaks to how competitive it is going to be this season I mean it, it felt competitive last season don't get me wrong but it feels just as kind of wide open this season because the kind of change in some of the teams losing their key players and how like kind of no one's really taken it by the by the scruff of the neck just yet um which is good we want that kind of parity that that evenness at the top and I think yeah I think to me Molenbeek are just looking more and more like settled in the league but I think you're right they are kind of I was going to kind of say like, oh, maybe they look like a team that isn't going to lose 7-0 again, but or 7-1, I think it was. But then you're right. It's kind of like, well, if teams start taking their chances again, then maybe that, that could happen again. But Defourney's been playing quite well in goal, to be fair to him. So let's give him some credit. And I think up top, Gay and Bill, and like, yeah, you mentioned it, Scott. I think as a strike partnership, I quite, I quite like that. Um, big man, small man. It's always good. Uh, before we get out of here, let's go down to the challenger pro league where speaking of kind of goal scorers and stuff like that there's a man that's just he just can't stop scoring at the moment can he over to you scott for 
kind of yeah the ins and outs of the challenger this week yeah it's been a really quite exciting uh weekend um in the challenger pro league uh match day seven uh score roundup uh zelta Varagam lost one nil at home to to club next uh rsc liege beat lommel 2-1 dender lost 3-1 at home to to yong genk Beershot drew one each with Oostend. Anderlecht Futures and Liers played out a really entertaining and quite dramatic three-all draw. More about that in a second. Frank Baran uh, lost at home 2-0 to Sarang. Denza and Beveren played out a 0-0 draw. And SL16 lost 1-0 at home to Patro Eisden. So Lommel remain top. Uh, despite their second defeat of the season. Patro Eisden, everyone, have now uh, gone up to second um, as a result of Zulta's defeat this weekend. Patro are now unbeaten in five, so they're they're on a rather good run at the moment. Ben mentioned somebody who's who's absolutely on fire. That's RFC Liège striker Adriano Bertaccini, who we spoke a little bit about last weekend. He's got another goal this weekend. Um, he's now on seven and seven. He's the man of the moment, and I think a lot of eyes are now watching him. Joris did uh, tip his hat to him in our preseason preview, so perhaps we do know a little bit about what we're talking about. Somebody else worth highlighting here: uh, Young Genk's fifteen-year-old attacking midfielder Konstantinos Karetsas. I'll say it again: Konstantinos Karetsas. We've already mentioned him before, but he scored another absolutely fabulous goal this weekend, uh, which was his third in seven. Um, He is only 15, um, but we're going to be hearing a lot more about this kid, I think, Um, uh, not only from us, but from from other people. He's looking very good indeed. Um, The big story of the weekend, the big drama, as I was alluding to, uh, the three-all draw in Brussels between Anderlecht Futures and Liers. So Liers salvage a late draw with, wait for it, Uh, if you don't already know the story here, with nine men. They played the last 34 minutes of this game with nine men and scored a breakaway equaliser in the 94th minute um, to come away with a point. Um, That's not something you see very often and and was was pretty exciting. And one other little story in the CPL uh, this weekend was the the pre-match kick-off um, between Denza and Beveren was actually taken by a certain Jean-Marie Faf. Everyone remember him? <laughs> I always love it when they get people out to do the kickoffs, uh, especially when the commentators have no idea who they are. Usually that happens in England, doesn't it, where you get them watching like a European game and it pans for someone in the crowd who's like a club legend and they just have no idea who they are. Um, it always makes me laugh. But another thing that made me laugh was... Um, Sino Gardo's miss for Zolta Varagam. If you haven't seen that, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's a that was a bad one uh, up there with kind of with Nuhu's uh, miss as well. I think yeah, it wasn't great. But yeah, Bertaccini, man, what a, what a run of form he is on at the moment. And yeah, Kaletsas, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? Before the kind of the the Twitter scouts get wind of the fifteen year old kid. I'm sure they probably already have, but. Yeah, Genk can probably start counting some of the millions already. I don't know. Uh, the way that he's kind of going, you're going to get all the big clubs linked to any sort of like teenager. 15. He, am I right? You obviously can't probably, he can't legally drink in Belgium either, can he yet? Um, do you have to be 16 like in other European countries? Mm-hmm. 
But about the millions, of course, uh, that's uh, not the case with the contracts until you're 18. So that's uh, that that's something else. That's uh, let's see. I, I'm quite convinced, but I can't say that for sure. But that it's not the second case uh, of uh, Nika Gots as well leaving the club before actually the the great breakthrough comes. Of course. Uh, he's doing a good job here, and I hope he, he keeps doing it, especially since he's literally from right behind the stadium that he grew up. So, uh, that, that a very, very local boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> stay, uh, stay in Belgium just, just a few years longer um, and keep entertaining us. And for God's sake, drink some of that beer at the first yeah. available opportunity. Can you imagine leaving and missing out on that opportunity? <laughs> How tragic. Exactly. <laughs> he wouldn't know what he's missing. Uh, anyway, that pretty much sums up this week's episode guys as always it's been a pleasure yep it's been it's been great to chew the cards uh cheers for your ears everybody and um good luck to all five belgian sides in european action this week we've got some tasty games yes let's grab some more points this uh, this week hopefully yes we could do some more coefficient points and some wins would be nice this week as well uh we'll obviously recap all those games next week once they've happened as always, if you've got any questions for us, please do let us know. If you like what we do, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice as well. Uh, once again, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.